Six months after an election, voters await word on the future of cannabis in South Dakota. From South Dakota Public Broadcasting, today is Thursday, April 29th, and this is In the Moment. Coming up this hour, we explore the journey of Amendment A and the impact of the current state Supreme Court case on future ballot questions. Our SDPB Spotlight for April explores the role of guns in our lives. South Dakota has the seventh highest rate of gun suicides in the nation. Our guests today are representatives from the state chapter of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. Now is the time to plant bare root shade trees in South Dakota. Eric Helland is with us for gardening and growing tips. Plus, live music returns to the Levitt Shell in Sioux Falls. We'll hear the lineup later in the hour. I'm Lori Walsh. You're in the moment. News is first. With SDPB News, I'm John Wynn. State Supreme Court justices are considering the constitutionality of a voter-approved measure to legalize recreational marijuana. However, some say the legal challenge is a way to ban the drug. SDPB's Lee Strubinger has more. South Dakota voters passed Amendment A by 54 percent. A few weeks after the 2020 election, Governor Kristi Noem and two law enforcement leaders challenged the law on several constitutional grounds. David Owen was the president of No Way on Amendment A, a group opposed to legal recreational marijuana. He says the legal challenge before the state Supreme Court is not about a benign constitutional question. This isn't purely a drive that says, oh my, I need to protect the Constitution. Let's not kid anybody. This is driven by people who want South Dakota to ban recreational marijuana, and they're using this argument as a reason, which means we may open up a constitutional door that has consequences. However, the governor's office says Amendment A was passed in an unconstitutional fashion. Ian Fury is a spokesperson for Governor Nome. He says there are important precedent to establish on how to amend the Constitution. So it's about the precedent that this sets with regards to how we change the people's constitution. There's a correct way to change it, and there's an incorrect way to change it, as we're, as we're seeing in this case. If the people uh, pass an amendment that follows the correct process to change the constitution, then that'll go into effect, but that's not what happened here. The state Supreme Court will weigh in on whether Amendment A considers more than one subject, testing a new limitation that voters approved in 2018, as well as other constitutional questions. The state Supreme Court room was full during oral arguments, which was streamed online. The justices will consider the briefs and oral arguments. Once all five justices have weighed in on the case, they will issue an opinion. For South Dakota Public Broadcasting, I'm Lee Strubinger in Pierre. State health officials are battling misinformation efforts about COVID-19 vaccines. Secretary of Health Kim Malsum Risden says there are campaigns to mislead the public. Um, We see um, a lot of that coming through social media. A lot of it is kind of individual, um, individually focused. Um, You know, I heard this kind of thing and, you know, or um, the other thing that we see pretty commonly is um, individuals um, assigning causal relationships to some kind of outcome to a vaccine. Malsam Reisden says the department is working with Native American tribes and federal entities to highlight the importance of getting vaccinated. That includes through social media, 
statewide public service announcements, mail, and advertisements. Uh, if you get the vaccine, it primes your system to counteract the virus um, if you become infected and thus helps you build resistance towards it. 95% of doctors who have studied the vaccine have taken it. And the quicker we put this pandemic behind us, the quicker we can get back to being our old self and grow our communities. Malsam Reisden says there are few risks to getting a vaccine shot. She points to the South Dakota Department of Health, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and local health providers as trusted sources of information. For weather today, we're seeing sunny skies across the state with highs in the upper 60s to the mid-70s. A red flag warning is in effect for Harding County that will last until tomorrow evening. Later tonight, mostly clear skies west, partly cloudy in the east. For SDPB News, I'm John Wynn. And I'm Lori Walsh. On November 3rd of 2020, South Dakota citizens voted to approve an amendment to the state constitution that legalizes all things cannabis. Voters also approved an initiated measure directing the state to establish a medical marijuana program. Well, after the election, the superintendent of the Highway Patrol and the Pennington County Sheriff sued to challenge the constitutionality of that amendment, and they hold that it contains a multitude of subjects rather than a single subject as required by a 2018 amendment initiated by the state legislature. A Sixth Circuit judge agreed with the law officers, found the amendment unconstitutional. Amendment A, proponents appealed, and the South Dakota Supreme Court heard arguments yesterday. Today on In the Moment, Victoria Wicks presents some of those arguments. Brendan Johnson is a former U.S. attorney for South Dakota who advocates for legalization of marijuana. During oral arguments, Chief Justice Stephen Jensen asks him if recreational marijuana would have been approved if it had not been on the same ballot as the more popular measure for medical marijuana. We have some indication um, from the initiative that the voters strongly favored uh, medical marijuana, 70%. You look at the counties, a lot of those counties that voted the other way on Amendment A, said, yeah, absolutely, we support uh, medical marijuana. We don't have the same uh, kind of outcome where we can determine whether the voters would have voted the same way if it was recreational marijuana standing alone. Is that problematic? Johnson says voters had the option of approving only medical marijuana because it was a separate issue on the ballot. And he says Amendment A on its own passed by more than 54 percent. Johnson says there was intense media coverage leading up to the election, and voters were more informed about this amendment and initiated measure than they were about most legislative bills. We had a vigorous debate, probably the most intensely scrutinized piece of legislation in my lifetime in a generation uh, that the people ever voted on. Opponents to Amendment A say that it contains more than one subject, which violates a 2018 addition to the state constitution. Justice Janine Kern addresses that concern with Brendan Johnson. I count 15 subjects and 55 subsections, as noted in opposing counsel's brief. Correct, right. And there certainly was very little publicity about the far-reaching implications. So, for example, the Department of Revenue, mm -hmm. vesting it with exclusive power. Right. Or the decision to appropriate where the taxation will go to. I mean, I'd like you to address uh, that concept. Right. Well, and of course, the, the, the number of, of provisions has always been less important than what the provisions themselves do. Johnson reads from Amendment A, laying out what the Department of Revenue has the exclusive power to do. 
license and regulate cultivation, manufacture, testing, transport, delivery, and sales of marijuana, and administer and enforce the article. Amendment A also sets out certain rules the Department of Revenue must include as it develops its plan for oversight. It protects people working in the cannabis industry from sanctions, and it restricts the rate of taxation at 15% until November 3, 2024. That is not revolutionary in all, all, all due respect to opposing counsel. What we see every year from this legislature is that they will, they will delegate powers to a different agency. I want to be clear that this case is not about cannabis. It's not about medicinal marijuana. And it's not about the multitude of other subjects that are packaged within Amendment A. It's about the rule of law. And it's about enforcing the limitations that the people placed on their power of initiative under the Constitution. Lisa Prostrolo represents Colonel Rick Miller, the superintendent of the State Highway Patrol. She disagrees with Johnson's contention that Amendment A's single subject is the legalization of cannabis and all else lays out the means by which that is accomplished. What's the single purpose of Amendment A? Is it the legalization of recreational marijuana, medicinal marijuana, or hemp? Is it the funding of public schools, perhaps, or revising our state's tax scheme? Or perhaps is it granting the Department of Revenue exclusive constitutional authority, which is something that's unprecedented in our state? Prestrolo says all are separate purposes encompassed within Amendment A, and each one can stand and fall on its own. Prestrolo explains why opponents didn't challenge Amendment A before the election. The issue in this case is that there was no clear procedure for bringing an action before the election. Thankfully, the legislature has now addressed that, so it won't be a problem moving forward. But there was a question at the time. And in fact, this court has stated that when a case uh, is deciding whether a change in the Constitution has been legally affected, uh, that question is actually better addressed after the election. Prestrolo notes that the Supreme Court has reviewed several amendments after they've been approved by voters. There's no specific time bar for challenging the constitutionality of Amendment A. Um, if there were, that would, that would be particularly concerning because it's implying that the passage of times can somehow sanction constitutional invalidity. Justices will consider these arguments and more, outlined in briefs, before issuing an opinion at a later date. For South Dakota Public Broadcasting, I'm Victoria Wicks. Well, the courtroom was full. Voters are watching. SDPB's Lee Strubinger offers more analysis ahead on In the Moment. You're on listener-supported South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Robin Young. Ah, the songs of spring as the winter world leaves and the what is that exactly returns? We'll get a primer on spring bird songs across the country next time, here and now. This afternoon, beginning at 1 Central, Noon Mountain, on SDPB Radio. Program funding is provided by the South Dakota Cultural Heritage Center in Pier. The museum now offers free admission to South Dakota residents and children from everywhere. Coronavirus protections in place. More at 773-3458 or history.sd.gov. On the next Fresh Air, writer Mbolo Mbwe. 
Her new novel, How Beautiful We Were, is about a fictional African village that tries to fight back against an American oil company that has polluted their land. Her first novel, Behold the Dreamers, was a New York Times bestseller and won the Penn Faulkner Award for Fiction. Join us. This afternoon at 2, One Mountain on SDPB. SDPB radio listeners are company presidents, board members, and top executives in businesses around the state. Your company can reach these influential business leaders. Contact SDPB and ask about corporate support. You're listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. While voters await the state Supreme Court's decision on the constitutionality of Amendment A, and we might be waiting for a while. Joining us for further analysis of this process, we have SDPB's Lee Strubinger. He is with us from the Black Hill Surgical Hospital studio inside SDPB's um, Black Hill studio. Lee, welcome. Thanks for being here. Great to be here, Lori. Um, let's talk a little bit about this courtroom first, because I think with the streaming of the proceedings of the oral arguments, more people than ever were tuned into not only this issue, but the process as it unfolded. Um, you're in the courtroom, you're there. Describe what it looked like. What was the, the scene that you saw unfold as the arguments um, were, were laid out in front of the justices? Yeah, sure. So I have to, I have to be honest. I wasn't actually in the courtroom, but okay. it was packed. Um, you know, according to um, some uh, uh, reporters who were actually in the room, I stayed outside of the room to cover the ancillary room. They they set up in uh, on the fourth floor. There's a really big committee room. They had all the TV screens up there, and they were live streaming the oral arguments there. So I kind of needed to bounce back and forth. I didn't want to get uh, stuck in the committee room. That being said. Because it was being live streamed, there weren't that many people in the ancillary room. I think there were about 10 people uh, overall who decided to show up and uh, watch from the state capitol. All right. So you talked to some of those people. What was sort of the tone? And uh, you brought some audio with uh, some thoughts from the people who were, were watching. Tell me about that. Yeah, it was it was relatively calm. Uh, there was there was uh, someone uh, sitting in that room who had a uh, a, a face mask with some uh, marijuana plant, uh, uh, I guess symbols Motif, on it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I did not talk to that person. But I did speak with uh, Brian Burge, who is from Beersford, who actually spent some time just kind of observing the state legislature this year as well. And uh, he was there and decided to watch the proceedings inside of the Capitol building. So I just decided to ask him a few questions and hear some of that conversation. What brought you out here today? So overall, it's one where you look at our constitutions as hierarchy document that's been formed over hundreds of years, influence from the federal side, influence from the state side, influence from the voter side. And by nature, when you have that many rules come together, there's always going to be conflict. And you listen, spending nine weeks up here in the legislature, sitting through committee hearings, you see how that process flows. To see just one hour, really, where it all condenses down and the rubber meets the road is really well worth coming out and seeing how it all gets affected. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask, did you uh, support or oppose Amendment A? I was opposed to Amendment A on the principle that it is an amendment to the Constitution. To me, it felt that there is, coming from the outside, that this should be a, a subject that is on a lower level of 
of authority. I see the Constitution much more as a philosophical document that sets the philosophical, how are we going to align our end goals? Now let's use legislative process and codified law to substantiate the bottom side of it and clean these all up together. That's why I oppose it, not necessarily on the for or against cannabis side of the world. Yeah, and my, my follow-up question was going to be, you know, if the court strikes us down, do you think it delays the inevitable? So based on what I saw over the last nine weeks of session, there's a huge appetite, particularly in the Senate side, to say, okay, technically maybe this is not the right way to go about getting legalized recreational marijuana allowed in our state. But the people clearly, we, we see their intent. And we are now, even if we disagreed with it, we are now very passionate about chasing their intent and putting them into place so that they get what the people wanted. We, will, we are now going to make a full faith effort after this whole thing pencils out. The frustrating part is that is a year and a half of delay, but um, also maybe it is enough to get more people passionate to say, you could have come up here and really made some citizen bills and sat in committees to say, this one might be contentious, let's support them and gut it in this last calendar year not wait for this whole process to come a year later. There's a little audio. My guest right now is SDPB's Lee Strubinger joining us from the Black Hill studio and uh, talking with Mr. Berg there at the um, Amendment A hearings at the state Supreme Court in Pierre just yesterday. And Lee, as we listen to the coverage um, that you provided, that Victoria Wicks has provided, one of the things that stands out to me is people saying what this is about and what it is not about. So it's about marijuana and the legalization of cannabis. It's about the Constitution. And it seems to me it's also about voters versus lawmakers and voters not trusting lawmakers to do the thing that they asked them to do. And this all ties back into Initiated Measure 22 and and things such as that. When you look at this sort of you know trifecta of things that are being argued, what stands out to you? Gosh, well, as you were hearkening back to Initiated Measure 22, that's right when I started. So ever since I've mm-hmm. been here, this has been um, sort of, you know, kind of what has been at play. And to see Amendment A and this uh, marijuana uh, cannabis issue, I mean, it even kind of started with hemp, right? There was a lot of contention about uh, the hemp uh, um, issue before Amendment A really came into into the light. So this is definitely something that's been uh, really been boiling uh, ever since. And one thing that I've been kind of surprised at is yeah you're right this has kind of come about as like a constitutional issue uh, but at the end of the day it really is about recreational marijuana and whether it should be allowed in the state and I will say it was pretty surprising once the state legislature gaveled in and and like Brian had talked about the Senate had um, considered some legislation I mean uh, during the last week they decriminalized marijuana um, there were some efforts to put Amendment A uh, into sort of a, a bill that lawmakers could pass. I think the wind really left the sails there once the circuit court um, sort of in, uh, put Amendment A on paused or, or ruled it unconstitutional. I think the law, lawmakers were pretty much like, we're not going to touch this. Um, but it, it's definitely something that uh, is really starting to gain momentum. And it's not just Democratic lawmakers that were bringing that. These were Republican lawmakers, some who've been in the legislature uh, for for several years, several several terms even, and now that they see that this is something that the electorate 
has weighed in on whether or not it was constitutional here. Um, it's definitely something that lawmakers are considering, I would say, more and more every day. And to be clear for listeners, the, the decriminalization effort failed. Um, they did not go forward. So marijuana mm-hmm. is still, you know, uh, possession is still a felony. Ingestion is still a felony. What What are some of the laws that still exist in South Dakota right now for people who are following it and thinking, you know, the inevitable is on the way? Well, the inevitable, if it is inevitable, is not here yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, again, so aside from initiated measure 26, which mm-hmm. is the uh, voter-approved medical marijuana program, uh, which goes into effect on July 1st, everything kind of remains the same. Mm-hmm. And I think I said this before the uh, legislative session started, is you know a lot of the system that is in place for state government, this is uh, someone I had talked to from uh, the Retailers Association. You know, At the end of the day, by the end of session, there's a lot of you know back and forth, a lot of talk going on. But at the end of the day, it generally ends up being that the status quo kind of main, remains in place. And I think that's something that uh, people can kind of uh, maybe maybe sort of lean on as as we're thinking about this Amendment A case as mm-hmm. it goes forward. Uh, will the status quo remain in place, or you know, will the state supreme court say this is what the voters approved? Uh, it is constitutional, and then. Um, and then that's when you know uh, everything will start to move forward there. And there's no time frame. It's not like we're waiting for a week for an announcement um, or uh, an opinion from the court. So we just wait. Yeah. And uh, they have other cases that they're working on, and um, we won't know for a while how long this might take. Correct. Right. Some people think yeah. you know that the Supreme Court will will have some some urgency behind their opinion, uh, mm-hmm. given that um, you know most things go into effect on July first. Um, some people think because it's such a high-profile case uh, that uh, we could have a ruling within a month. I'm not saying that. Uh, I think um, that the Supreme Court is going to take uh, just as much time as they do on other things, if not more, given the high-profile nature of it um, and any sort of deadline as to when we'll see an answer from them would be mm-hmm. pure speculation. Right. And the consequences are far reaching as well. So they will do their due diligence without rush. I would I would speculate. Right. Um, right. One more question, Lee, and that mm-hmm. is just as you were out in peer for the state legislature, did you notice an increase in lobbyists in people who were trying to educate lawmakers about everything from medical marijuana to recreational marijuana? We know the governor is still, you know, remains opposed to marijuana in the state again and again. She has said, you know, nobody ever got smarter by smoking weed. That sort of rhetoric comes from her. But were you noticing with the increase of lobbyists and people who were trying to educate lawmakers that some of those lawmakers were getting new information about cannabis and that that might impact their decisions in the future? Yeah, there were definitely some new lobbyists there. Uh, I interviewed one on uh, my peer-to-peer program on South Dakota Focus. He was he was a new face. His name's Kittrick Jeffries. But some of them were familiar faces that have mm-hmm. uh, sort of taken up lobbying for uh, the cannabis issue, and some of the um, some of the cannabis groups, you know, here in the state, which. I mean, obviously feel emboldened after the election, right? So um, there's money behind that. Uh, Also, at the same time, you know, it wasn't just lobbyists educating lawmakers. There were lawmakers there that established something called the Cannabis Caucus to learn more, not just about recreational, but I mean, having to deal with the medical marijuana side of it. You know, this is a brand new thing. It took a long time for lawmakers to get 
comfortable with the idea of hemp, and there was a lot to learn there. So uh, w- one of the lawmakers who really led the Cannabis Caucus, his name was uh, uh, he's Representative Mike Derby, a uh, Republican from Rapid City, um, you know, he was kind of anointed on the House side as being the point person for uh, sort of um, uh, getting to know more about cannabis and then educating other uh, legislators as that kind of goes along. So mm-hmm. um, definitely something I did not expect uh, moving here five years ago, thinking about uh, <laughs> uh, IM22, the Anti-Corruption right. Act. Um, but here we are. And uh, we it are. is definitely something that legislators, um, you know, whether or not there's there's bills that are getting passed, it's something that legislators are learning more about and um I would even venture to say getting more comfortable uh, uh, considering. Right. Even talking about SDPB's Lee Strubinger, you can find all his reporting on this issue and more on our website at sdpb.org slash news. Lee, thanks so much for being here. Yep. Thanks for having me, Laurie. We're going to continue our Guns in South Dakota spotlight in just a moment. We'll talk about gun violence in South Dakota and regular citizens standing up and wanting to be part of that conversation. You're in listener-supported SDPB Radio. In parts of the country, there's no longer a backlog of people clamoring for COVID-19 vaccines, and appointments are going unfilled. Public health workers in Georgia have had to get creative. Have y'all took the vaccination shot? We're doing them this morning. We're doing $25 Walmart cards. Taking vaccines to the people. This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Listen, beginning at 3 Central, 2 Mountain on SDPB. Program funding is provided by the South Dakota Humanities Council. Celebrating literature, promoting civil conversation, and telling the stories that define our state. Learn more at sdhumanities.org. Hi, this is Carol Johnson. If you made a gift to SDPB during the Sound Vision Drive, my husband Al and I thank you. We were thrilled to offer a matching gift to help SDPB continue its mission. We want SDPB to be all that it can be for South Dakota. Haven't made a gift yet? There's still time to give. Please go online at sdpb.org donate. Thank you very much. Program funding with your support and by McCrory Gardens in Brookings, planting over 40,000 flowers every spring. More information at McCroryGardens.com. McCrory Gardens, ready to bloom. You're listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. SDPB's April Spotlight is on guns in South Dakota. We've been exploring the policies and the politics, the history and the heritage, and the stories that color the way we engage in any conversation about gun violence, gun rights, or gun safety. Well, today we welcome two South Dakota representatives from Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. Karen Pettigrew leads a local group in Rapid City, and Tiffany Toki manages media for the statewide chapter. Karen, welcome to the moment. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Tiffany, thank you as well for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Karen, I want to talk with you and um, ask you first what what brought your involvement into this organization um, 
was there a, a moment that you said I have to be part of, an, of a citizen action group where I can have these kind of conversations and maybe make a difference in my community? Take me back to, to that thought process. Well, there definitely was. Um, for me, it was when our grandson, who is now seven, started kindergarten in Denver. And within the first couple of weeks, they practiced uh, what to do if there were an active shooter in the school. And that seemed to me to be a place where we had to stop. Like, is this what we're doing now is preparing children for the reality that someone may come in their school and want to shoot them and kill them? And I thought I had to do something. And I had heard about mom's demand action. And I found that there was a fledgling group in South Dakota and I joined them. Yeah, I remember my daughter's first kindergarten intruder drill is what they called it. And they were hiding in their, you know, their coat cubbies sort of behind their coats. And that was the first time I think I realized that it was the kindergarten teacher who was going to put her body between um, my daughter and an intruder of any kind. And that was an incredibly sobering thought. It really makes a difference to how you drop your kids off at school in the morning for, for so many parents. And and Tiffany, your involvement, tell me a little bit about what drew you to um, the moms groups and uh, what kind of keeps you showing up for the conversation. Yeah, well, unfortunately, uh, at the tender age of 11, when I was in fifth grade, I lost my childhood friend and neighbor to gun violence. Um, And while I don't go into the details, it was a pivotal moment for me and really had a profound impact on my life. And so really that moment has led me here to talk to you today um, about the prevalence of gun violence within our communities and in our lives. And um, so for a long time, um, I had been wanting to do something about it. And so then I, I found Moms Demand Action back in 2019, and I've been working with them ever since. And it's such a, a great group of men and women and, and students coming together, and um, they they help me show up every day and, and want to fight. And, um, you know, our, our gun suicides, really, I'm passionate about that. And so... Um, that that brings me here. So let's lay out some facts um, for people who might not know or visitors who are driving through South Dakota and listening to uh, South Dakota Public Broadcasting on their radio. Um, South Dakota is a permitless carry state that started in 2019. So if you're 18 and older, um, you can concealed carry, you can open carry legally. Um, House Bill 1212 during this uh, legislative session, the 2021 session, was uh, what's commonly referred to as a stand your ground legislation. It was defeated in committee and then smoked out and it passed and landed on the governor's desk, changing the idea of self-defense and deadly force in the state. And in 2019, to Tiffany's point, 113 gun deaths, which um, 87% of those were suicides. Um, 87% of those 113 gun deaths in South Dakota were suicide by gun. We have the seventh highest firearm suicide rate in the United States. Um, Karen, when you when you roll out some of the data on that and some of the policy and legislation and the knowledge about the state that we live in and our hunting culture and our pride in the Second Amendment, generally speaking, um, how do you approach activism? Where do you begin with something that we all have in common, perhaps? I think we approach it through emphasizing gun safety and a culture 
of, um, of, of gun safety, um, being aware of the incredible responsibility that it is to be a gun owner, and then going from there to um, the need to protect uh, others from easy access to guns when re- harm will result. That would be children, children in homes, um, children who are visiting grandparents, children who have play dates. Um, it involves emphasizing the importance of uh, securing locked and unloaded guns in motor vehicles because theft of guns is, is a very common occurrence and stolen guns are always used in criminal activity. Um, so I think the emphasis that on safety is something that people on the spectrum from those who choose not to own guns to those who collect and own many, many guns. Um, I think we can agree that that this is a, an awesome responsibility and um, there are ways to protect um, and reduce, you know, the incidence of gun violence by being a responsible gun owner. Yeah. Tiffany, to that point, um, I've noticed that there was, at least when my daughter was growing up, a stigma about asking about that. And my husband was in law enforcement. We had play dates and I would always say, well, we have this, you know, this is what we have in our house and this is how we deal with it. And parents would just look at me kind of open mouth. And I thought, well, maybe they're never going to come over now because I talked about it. Um, but of course, in South Dakota, the, we weren't alone in having guns in our house. So is there, Tiffany, do you think a a hesitation among parents, a hesitation among gun owners to talk about mental health issues for fear that someone will take their guns. What are some of the things that Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America is doing to get the conversation out there so people can speak openly about this part of our lives? I do. I think, you know, there's there's always going to be stigma and it is an awkward conversation. Um, but I think the more we talk about this and we have this platform and these conversations, the more people are going to feel comfortable in in talking about that. You know, we have the Be Smart program, which is is designed to uh, be presented at different, um, you know, whether it be the police department or at um, schools. Um, It's designed to teach adults how to safely store their guns, in which we also provide free gun locks. And so I don't think many people realize, and, and then when they hear that, they think, oh, okay, um, you know, we're really about education, right? And um, 90% of all Americans support good gun legislation. They support background checks. And so we have hunters, we have gun owners, we have, we have all different kinds of people within our organization working to end, end this. And um, you know, in terms of the suicide, like you said, um, 80% of our gun deaths in South Dakota are suicides. And in a moment of crisis, the access to gun can be the difference between life and death. And so um, gun suicide, we know, is preventable through secure storage, extreme risk laws, uh, waiting period laws, and many other tools. Um, you know, thinking about it, nearly two-thirds of gun deaths are suicides. So we can't end gun violence without ending America's gun suicide crisis. Um, and I think it's also important to point out that um, someone who died by gun, who shot themselves, is a victim of gun violence. And I, I don't think people, when they think gun suicide, they think gun violence. 
what it is. And um, it's just really important to get that education out and and um, to provide these numbers for people. I think people still like really start to to think about it when they realize the the high level of, of suicides within our state and and also going to youth. Um, car accidents used to be the, the number one leading cause of death. So that's not the case anymore. Gun violence is. So it's really important that we're having this conversation and, and we're just so honored to be here, Lori. So, Karen, I want to go back to something you said about the locked cars, because um, you know, every time someone leaves a car unlocked and a gun is stolen in the city where I live, you can almost the, the frustration from law enforcement officers is palpable during the press conference when they say, again, lock your cars, remove your firearms from your cars and please lock them up. Um, I'm looking at statistics from Giffords Law Center talking about trafficking and saying from 2013 to 2017, 897 guns originally purchased in South Dakota were recovered after be, being used in crime in other states. Karen, what do you think our responsibility is as we maintain and discuss the laws that we have in South Dakota and how people will take advantage of those laws to commit crimes in other states? What can you tell me about that? You know, I think in South Dakota, people are not accustomed to locking their homes, or at least they haven't been. If you're born and raised in South Dakota, I hear all the time about not locking your home, not locking your car. And I think it was either our mayor or police chief at one point said that a motor vehicle is not a gun safe. So, I mean, I think public education is huge. Now, as far as holding a gun owner liable for stolen weapon, I, you know, I think that's always a possibility. Um, but that's, that's not something that um, I'm hearing discussed. And it's not something Mom's Demand Action is promoting. We pretty much look at the numbers and try to determine how we can save lives through action. And so mm-hmm. we look at things that we know work like background checks on all gun sales and um, plugging loopholes that would allow uh, someone in an intimate partner relationship to uh, to uh, be exempt from um, from uh, having their being a, having their weapons removed um, even if they're not actually married or living with a woman. Um, women are often they're five times more likely to be um, killed with a gun if there's a gun involved in a um, domestic dispute. But um, I think. Um, again, emphasizing the education and stressing how important it is for people who choose to own guns to be completely responsible because they have an awesome responsibility mm-hmm. to the community. Tiffany, are you noticing from people reaching out and, um, you know, certainly there's uh, when. You know, when there was a mass shooting, and there have been many this year that have made national news, no mass shootings that I'm aware of have been reported in South Dakota. Uh, but when events like that happen that make people really think twice, do you see the response You know, that comes directly to Moms Demand Action, that more and more people are wanting and feel called to talk about it, especially among younger South Dakotans? Yeah, and I I love the youth. They're so powerful. You know, they don't have much fear. Um, 
I think I think people are called to take more action. I think for a while, maybe South Dakota didn't seem like it was such an issue. Um, but as the reports go up of gunshots within, you know, my own community, I think people are starting to take it seriously and, and to understand really that we are nonpartisan um, and, and making sure that people understand that so that they feel comfortable um, coming forward. And just because they're a hunting family doesn't mean they can't be a part of the conversation and um, and making sure that people know that and then and being there and supporting them when they reach out. Uh, with that said, you know, we do have a meeting coming up on May 4th. Um, they can access that information either by going to our Moms Demand Action South Dakota Facebook page or directly to momsdemandaction.org uh, where they can find a whole heap of information and um, calls to action and as well as, as just simply going to the events page and putting in their zip code. Um, will once they sign up, they'll get the Zoom link. We're all doing it online right now. Um, but that's really how they can get involved and, and start the conversation. You know, we'd love to see a Students Demand Action grow in South Dakota. Um, and and that's always, and I think it's important too to realize the, the laws that you brought up, the standard round, which is a license to kill. And um, th- these things are things that can be overturned, right? They're not permanent. Not, they're not forever. So the hope isn't lost in South Dakota. It can definitely be hard, right, to live here. And um, and, and mom's demand action can oftentimes be misunderstood um, in the things that we're trying to accomplish. But I think if, if anybody feels called to act, we're a great group of people. We are passionate. We love what we do. We, I mean, aside from the organization, we're family, and um, it's a it's a great group of people um, hmm. statewide and nationwide. So I would just urge people if they feel called to to reach out to to do that, and we'll guide hmm. them on how to you know what they can do. Get involved. Karen Pettigrew and Tiffany Tolke have been my guests uh, for this segment, which is part of a month-long spotlight on guns in South Dakota. Karen, uh, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Tiffany, thank you as well. Thanks, Lori. You can find all our coverage of this topic at sdpb.org slash spotlight on tomorrow's program. We look at a Second Amendment case and its uh, motion in the United States Supreme Court and what that could mean for Second Amendment protections in the future. And also throughout the month of April, we've been asking you to share your formative experience with guns. Some of those stories are delightful memories and some are tragic. Here is listener Katie from Sioux Falls talking about one of her earliest memories. My first real memory of guns is was when my third grade classmate was shot and killed by his babysitter using my classmate's mother's handgun that she kept in her bedside table. We had guns in our house but I had never really thought about them. And later when my sister took hunter safety and went out hunting with some friends and my dad, I just never showed an interest. And it hasn't been until I became an adult that I've connected my disinterest in guns and my current 
dislike of guns to that classmate being shot and killed. Um, and now it makes me, as a parent, concerned about my children spending time in people's homes who have guns, which is almost just an assumption in South Dakota. I'm Robin Young. Ah, the songs of spring as the winter world leaves and the what is that exactly returns? We'll get a primer on spring bird songs across the country next time, here and now. This afternoon, beginning at 1 Central, Noon Mountain on SDPB Radio. Program funding is provided by First Dakota National Bank. First Dakota National Bank celebrates individuals and businesses with a passion to turn their dreams into South Dakota firsts. Learn more at firstdakota.com first. Imagine a South Dakotan who cares about current events and education, who contributes their time and money to help make their community a better place to live. You've just imagined a listener of SDPB. If your company needs to reach well-educated, loyal customers, please consider becoming an underwriter. SDPB is a trusted source, and your company message doesn't have to be loud or long to get attention here. Our listeners will notice you. Email us, underwrite at sdpb.org, to get started. Program funding is provided by Sanford Underground Research Facility, supporting South Dakota teachers and students with classroom resources, field trips, and professional development. Learn more at sanfordlab.org. You're listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. Well, look out the window at spring in South Dakota. Where I'm sitting, I can see the early unfurling of leaves on the lilac bushes and a few bursts of yellow dandelions are dotting the greening of the grass. Today we welcome Eric Helland with Landscape Garden Center to the program for this week's South Dakota Home Garden episode. And you can always get your gardening and growing questions answered on air from Eric. You just have to send us an email in the moment at sdpb.org. Eric, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Hey, Lori, how are you? I am well. Can you look outside and see something? What do you see? Or are you confined I, right now? <laughs> I am seeing crab trees, uh, ornamental crab trees that are just about ready to push out their uh, their blossoms. Nice, nice. All right. We're talking about trees and bare root trees today, bare root shade trees specifically. Why is now a good time to plant a bare root tree? All right. So the weather has been absolutely awesome for bare root uh, plant material. And uh, shade trees are a great way to get the get you know to plant right now because um, it's a very limited time for the next two weeks. So root cellar our root cellar will be open, and it is just so easy to plant trees that will be able to. Right now they're sleeping. You're going to plant them in the ground, and they will be waking up with the rest of the trees. Uh, right now you won't be seeing. I think you're seeing a lot of plants flower or push out their first buds. And uh, within a couple of weeks, I think we're gonna see a lot of leaves develop on the trees. And this is a perfect time to be planting bare root plant material. Easy to plant, plant it straight um, and uh, let her go. 
All right, plant it straight. That's important. <laughs> okay, so you're going to dig a very different kind of hole if you're planting a bare root tree versus if you're planting a, a tree that comes in a bucket with the dirt all packed in. What kind of hole do you plant for one of these trees where you have access to these sprawling roots? Uh, so in this instance, you're going to be only, you won't be digging as deep. You'll probably be digging something wider. Uh, mm -hmm. This is something very, a lot easier to do than going deeper, but in some cases, you're only going 12 to 18 inches deep. You're loosening up the soil. You're putting the, you get to see all of the roots as you put them into the ground and bury the roots. And in a very, very short period of time, uh, that tree starts to establish itself and put those roots out. And then um, getting back, like I just said, is keeping the tree straight. Uh, that tree, I mean, you can put a stake by it for just a few weeks, a couple of months, remove the stakes. Um, then that's, that tree will have developed its roots that fast to mm. be able to continue to grow. Yeah, and I learned this the hard way. It's not a bad idea to protect it from the rabbits. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, rabbits and also sun scald, uh, uh trees will, mm. in some cases, they will... Um, have some issues in the winter time um, because they're just not quite hardy enough. So younger trees, we always say protect them from everything and just put some tree wrap around them to keep them from the rodents, uh, rabbits, and even you know deer will sometimes get a hold of them too. Yeah. All right. So make it straight. Uh, spread the hole out. And what about the dirt? Should I add in other? Am I using the dirt that I just dug out of the ground, or is that a good time to sort of add some different kind of nourishing material? What's the best option? That's a that's a great question. So the plant, the tree that you're planting in that hole is going to be there for a very long time. So at some point, all of those roots are going to extend out to whatever soil is around there. So you cannot um, amend everything that's around there. If you want to amend some of it, but it's really good to use the exact same soil, the original soil for backfilling. And then the best thing to do is mulch the top. Once you've watered everything in, mulch that top where the roots, where you just had buried the roots, because then that'll mm -hmm. help keep that soil cooler. Um, and it will also help retain moisture. Yeah. Pretty remarkable as I watched the video, you had a linden tree and I have one in my front yard and the fact that they start out uh, like that, it makes me grateful for the person who originally planted that because now it is just a great gift to uh, my home environment. So Eric Helen, thank you so much. We really appreciate talking to you again. All right, thank you. South Dakota Home Garden explores gardening and growing topics from April to September. You can tune in every week to In the Moment and ask Eric Helland your questions. Send us an email in the moment at sdpb.org. And you can watch episodes of South Dakota Home Garden and find digital extras on our website, sdpb.org. The five minute episodes air on SDPB TV as well. Catch them on Thursdays, Saturdays, and Sundays. And of course, the fun part, you can join other South Dakota gardeners on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with hashtag SDHomeGarden. Now let's talk a little bit about music as we continue to get outside in South Dakota's spring and think about the summer when live music returns to love it at the falls as that summer concert season across South Dakota continues to take shape. Nancy Halverson is executive director of The Levitt and she's joining us after making the official season reveal in Sioux Falls earlier today. Nancy, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Thanks. 
Thanks, Lori. We're delighted to be here. Thanks for putting me on. The music is coming back, and it's our reward for all this hard work <laughs> trying to figure out how to get back to normal, get your vaccines, and come to the Love It. Um, tell us a little bit about the upcoming season. Sure. So we are delighted to be back, and we will be coming in with 40 free live concerts. Um, we will begin on June 11th and go through September 11th. In the months of June and September, the shows will be on Friday and Saturday nights. But then in July and August, we'll add in Thursday night. So I think it's it's going to be so much fun. We've got a incredibly diverse season of musicians coming in. So there'll be something for everybody. Yeah. All right. And so there's been hints about who the lineup would include with some of these uh, Love It in Your Living Room segments. So tell us a little bit about the intention of those segments and then give us some of these names and how the concerts are sort of divided up based on what sort of music you might like to see. Sure, sure. Well, first of all, you know, a huge thank you to all of you at South Dakota Public Broadcasting and all of the friends of South Dakota Public Broadcasting for allowing us to have our Love It in Your Living Room produced by you all and shared with our community. Um, so we have, we've sort of cheated out some of who these folks will be. Mm-hmm. The first is our opening act on June 11th, and that will be the incredible Ranky Tanky um, yeah. that we just showed on STPB last weekend. Ranky Tanky is a Grammy award-winning group from South Carolina, and their music is based in that rich Gullah culture. Um, mm-hmm. So that will be a, a real favorite. Um, and then some of the others that we've seen on Levitt in Your Living Room, Lucas Hoke, the great country singer, Bo DePena, another country singer, um, we will n- next week be having Nerdy on South Dakota Public Broadcasting with us with Love It in Your Living Room. Um, Jackie Venson has been an artist that we've featured, the Lemon Bucket Orchestra out of Canada, Brittany Kellogg. So we've got just some incredible artists that people will be enjoying this summer. For people who are still new to the Levitt and maybe, you know, learned through the virtual world what it was all about and now are thinking, I'm going to get myself down (laughs) to downtown Sioux Falls (laughs) for some of these concerts, Um, start early, food, uh, what is the, what is the, you know, the whole vibe there like? Sure. So it is a blast. Um, The Levitt is actually part of a national network of outdoor amphitheaters that are all meant to build community through music. That's what we're about. And so when you come to the lawn, we suggest you show up around 6 o'clock, and there'll be food and drink available for you, food trucks, and and our partners, JJ's, will be um, offering adult beverages, plus lots of soda and and other things that are not adult beverages. Um, The music will start with local headliners at 6.30, and then around 7, 7.15, the headliner will start, and they'll go until about 9 o'clock. So it's a, you know, it's a fun evening. You can bring your own chairs or blankets. Um, we have some chairs there available for rent if you'd like to, and the, the dollars for the rental go to support Levitt. But again, it's all free. Um, we will pass a bucket as a free will offering because that's how it happens, right? The Levitt happens because of the support of our community. So we do ask people to chip in what they can, but we want it to just be available to everyone. 
Yeah. And Nancy, you were um, thoughtful and cautious and uh, sought input from the medical community last year about um, concerts and decided not to go forward with some of the the events on the lawn. This year, trying to go forward with COVID precautions in place, there's a good amount of room to spread out on that lawn and it is outdoors. Tell us a little bit about the importance of bringing the music back, but bringing it back in a safe way. Amen to that. Yeah, you know, we're real advocates for vaccines. We hope that people will go and get vaccinated so they can come out to the lawn safely. You know, we are an open air environment, so we do know that it's safer than being indoors. But we still will ask that when people come to the lawn, you know, if they want to mask, they're more than welcome to do so. We encourage that. Um, They're welcome to find a spot on the lawn and socially distance from other people around. So it really will be about respecting your neighbor when you come out. But again, being outdoors, we know the CDC says that that's a much safer environment to be in. So we hope that people will come and enjoy the music. Of course, backstage, we are having a lot of more strict protocol with, you know, mask wearing and that sort of thing because these artists are traveling from all over the country, right? So we want to make sure that they're safe and, and feel protected in that way. Yeah. Um, CDC says we can be outside without masks now, um, as long as we're not in a big crowd. So the more people uh, spread out a little bit further and uh, take those precautions and show that respect and and support those artists because they have had a really tough year economically and as have the businesses that also benefit from um, a concert venue that has, you know, 40 some concerts uh, per summer. Nancy, thank you so much. I know people can find more information on your Facebook page. Uh, Tell us the website before we uh, say farewell for the day. Sure. So it's www.levittsoupfalls.org. And really, the social media is a great place to follow us. Um, All of the events are now on Facebook, so you can keep up with that. We just really look forward to seeing everybody out on the lawn. Nancy Halverson, thanks so much for being here again. We appreciate it. Thank you, Lori. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.